Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Andrea Hosner. Andrea Hosner is a doctor, a psychologist, a gerontologist. Uh, she works specifically with people um, who are older and more more likely uh, with people with Alzheimer's. And so she is working with this, but it is a deficient field. And Andrea's mission is to help bring awareness to the fact that there needs to be more help with the people who are older and who are going to become a bigger, greater part of our population. So please listen up. It's a very interesting show. Andrea is very intelligent, compassionate, and loving, and really uh, wants to move things forward uh, in the medical field. Love you all. Love your others. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Andrea Holzner, and she is a doctor in psychology with a specialty in Alzheimer's research and Alzheimer's care. Um, We're going to talk about Alzheimer's today. Um, We did talk about this last year uh, as Andrea was going through her PhD candidacy program. And so now in the field, uh, working in, in, in new ways. And so it's very interesting, the approach she's taking, and I like it. Um, and so listen up, and, and um, we are looking for community members uh, to help with, with this process. So if you are within a community and, and there's Alzheimer's outreach and you feel like that is something that you could help families with, because um, the families of people with Alzheimer's have challenges also. And so kind of filling that hole um, and I think that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Andrea. How are you today? Thank you. I, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it's always good to see you. Like, oh, thank you. It's good to see you. Very calming. Ah, yeah. Well, I hope to have that effect on people. Um, but don't go to sleep, folks. There's more to come. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell, me, tell me about... Um, well, it's because, you know, when the people may not be able to access the previous show, um, I'd like if you could maybe tell us the story of your motivation for becoming a doctor in the Alzheimer's research and, and psychology areas. Um, could you do that? Of course. Yeah. Um, well, um it really started a long time ago when I was a little girl, I just had this um, vision of becoming a psychologist. And um, at that time, you know, of course I was so young, but um, I just knew I was going to be in the field and um, life. I started off in the field, life sort of interjected marriage, daughter, and, um, and then later in life, I, I got back into academia uh, and I still knew I wanted to be a psychologist. And it wasn't until my mother, uh, she started off with vascular dementia and it, was, it quickly moved into Alzheimer's. And now knowing what I know, I think there was a misdiagnosis I think she, I think she did have vascular components. She really was already an advanced Alzheimer's, um, considering the 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 fast trajectory of it. 
And I was immediately thrust into a 24 seven caregiver in, in the medical and the social and the environmental and just managing all the elements. It was overwhelming and I had no clue. And I thought I, you know, knew, knew the county, knew the system, you know, I thought I was pretty well versed and, and I had no clue. I was just really in the dark and the emotional changes, the physical, the physicality of dementia and Alzheimer's, um, just the cognitive components. I, I really didn't understand that. And so it, it, I, I learned as much as I could during that time. And, and then I, I switched my major instantly to um, geriatrics. So it's kind of the con conflation of the two then Alzheimer's geriatrics. And you see a bit of both of that going on, don't you? I yeah. Mean, and, I, and I think, I think a lot of, I know this is interesting because even those individuals that are in the field really don't understand the definitions of geriatrics. So for just, uh, for this recording as well, I would just want to say that geri geriatric doesn't just mean someone that is 65 and older. All of a sudden, they're geriatric. That um, sick a geriatric is someone that is 65 and older and has a number of health conditions or mental health conditions or comorbidities of some sort. Um, and it's, there's, there's limitations where they need support in some sort of way, um, where they would see a specialist, which is a geriatrician. And part of my goal in my practice and in my world is that geriatricians are not a specialty, that they are actually part of a primary care consortium and are treated so within insurance, in the industry, et cetera, instead of a specialty. I think that the 17 million or however, uh, you know, 65 and olders that we have today and growing uh, are not a specialty. <laughs> they're, they're not a specialty. They're a population and they deserve to have the, the level of care that meets their needs. Um, so many times for 65 and older, I'll refer to older adults, and which is 65 and older. Um, but when I'm speaking to geri geriatric patients, um, they have an underlying health um, condition, mental health, phys physicality um, demands, et cetera. So. so how often do you think the vascular um, dementia is misdiagnosed for Alzheimer's or, or vice versa? I mean, I, I guess I'm asking you to speculate, which isn't a fair Well, point. I can more than speculate um, st statistically uh, through research and through what is recorded, um, it's upwards of 60 plus percent that is a misdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. So 
and um, many medical coatings, the um, ICD codes are um, are not even, they don't even have the designation of Alzheimer's or dementia. So, and, and that's upwards of 80%. And that's, those are pretty critical numbers in my book. Yeah. Uh, so much of what's happening, you know, with the 5 million are growing number of um, Alzheimer's, those with Alzheimer's, in the United uh, States. They, need a, they need a geriatrician that understands the mental um, the health, the physical, the social, the environmental, all of it to treat them um, integratively and comprehensively. And we don't have, there's a shortage. There's just a shortage. And recently I read that we would need 229% increase in geriatricians today to just break even. Wow. So, um, yeah, so the only way to leverage that is to leverage a society of geriatric people with those tools and not the title, I would think, you know, because I don't see that happening. I mean, what the 225,000? 229%. Percent. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And so, Currently, primary care physicians, right, are are um, treating uh, geriatric patients. Yeah, and, and their practices are thirty plus percent of their patient base are geriatric patients, so that is significant. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we we have to equip those PCPs, the primary care physicians, with the tools, the resources with the education yeah. um, that they need. And for, for me, I really focus on having a more comprehensive geriatric approach where it's not just the PCP themselves, it's a social worker or a psychologist um, or a therapist um, and the caregiver as well. Uh, me, I think the caregiver is a huge component to the treatment planning. So yeah. uh, it's it's a it's a whole, we have to think outside the box. We have to think in a new way to solve this issue. So the challenges of transferring new information um, and skills to primary care physicians in rural areas is that they've already got a lot on their plate and. You know, they're seeing 50 people a day. How do I, how do I assimilate this new information? Is that kind of been the case? Cause I know these rural doctors are worked hard because nobody wants to go out there. Yeah, rural, rural um, healthcare is a beast unto itself. And it, I think, I think of it in the same way though, that it, you know, it takes a community. We have to, we have, you know, if a, if a physician can't reach that patient, then uh, a nurse, uh, RN or um, a CNA or someone 
that has the the understanding and the knowledge to uh, be the mediator between the physician and the patient and coordinate care and resources. And I, I think the positive note is that a lot of counties, rural counties are uh, really working together uh, in a group, in a consortium to, uh, to meet this need. Yeah. So, it's really, it's really uh, I, I just worked recently with a co Colorado task force and we had, you know, medical, uh, environmental, social, first responders, uh, agencies all coming together to try to uh, solve issues, solve immediate issues to triage, to triage what's happening and to have long-term sustainability. So it's encouraging that people are talking about this now. You know, it's it's interesting and I'm thinking about doctor's offices in general and where your highest leverage point is in terms of actual face-to-face -face, uh, data gathering, the whole thing, it's all at the CNA. Like they are the ones that are talking to the people, getting the information, doing the stats, and then transferring that information to the doctor, it would seem to me that if they had, you know, the right questionnaire going in, they could, they would have more information to share. Um, there's something along the lines of, I don't know if there is a way of assessing, is there some sort of tool that you use to assess somebody's um, move from being old age to now geriatric, which. Oh, of course, you know, we, there's, there's significant uh, assessment tools um, to gauge all that, of course. And and you're right, CNAs, they spend the, the majority of time um, with uh, residents in uh, assisted living uh, and memory care, um, as well as caregivers, non-salaried caregivers. That's why I say uh, around 70, 75% of caregivers are not salaried. These are loved ones, friends, family that are caring. So I think they're an integral part and to give them the tools um, to mediate to the physician about what's going on, they're, they're the ones that see it firsthand. Um, and so I think it's important. And part of what Part of what prompted this podcast as well is just, uh, you know, why is there a lack of geriatricians and gerontologists, uh, psychologists that are focused in the area of geriatrics? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a number of things. One, not everyone is interested in going into a field where there's in, in all frankness, disease, dying, death um, in, in the immediate future. And from a medical standpoint, it's probably, you know, I've heard people say it's not the sexiest um, field to get into as opposed to some type of surgery or, um, you know, some other field in, in, uh, in, in the medical field, 
Uh, and then you have the issue of Medicare, Medicaid that impacts and also limits your earning potential. So for someone that's going into medical school, yeah, it's uh, unless they have a huge love for the aging demographic and trying to understand age-related, um, you know, issues as Alzheimer's and such, uh, you know, fewer and fewer medical students are going into this field. And in fact, recently we had a decline of geriatricians. And I, I think overall it was like a thousand, we had a thousand less, a thousand fewer geriatricians last year. So we, we really need to get the word out there and so what's the remedy to that? More doctor? I mean, how, how do we get more people to choose the field? I mean, as a doctor, you know, I think I think about that kid who decides they want to be a doctor, right? And why do they want to be a doctor? Because some of them is just straight up money. I want to be a doctor because they make money. But some of them want to be doctors. And I had some friends like this in high school that they wanted to be a doctor because they wanted to heal people. They wanted to fix people's problems and see end result. And when, when you fix a problem, you like to see, you know, the, the situation change. There's an inevitability in your field that you are, you are on the downhill side of the situation and there's no repairing that there's only palliative care. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of people to be okay so i don't i'm not the person who's going to go fix the thing i'm the person who's going to help the people who are going through the thing which is still medicine it's it's very important medicine but it it i i'm just wondering if that's a core principle that as is maybe why people don't go into geriatrics yeah i think that that's very valid point and you with my with my own Alzheimer's patients and families, uh, you know, I, I know inevitably I'm gonna be with that patient until they pass away. And it's probably going to be in the immediate future, right? And um, so I know this, however, it's important to me as, as we were chatting earlier, you know, when we take an oath of autonomy, justice, beneficence, we're talking about looking at that individual, providing the best care, the highest quality of life, even as they're transitioning, um, you know, out of this world. Uh, we we owe it to them to provide them uh, the best life that that we can. And there are so many. So many times I, I meet people and they, they say, well, someone has Alzheimer's. So that's that, you know, we'll just, you know, they'll just sit in their chair and do whatever until it's the end. Well, that's a bias that needs to really be remedied ASAP because that it's just not true. And um, it does involve of course, a higher level of caregiving, uh, 
and understanding and awareness of, of the disease. Uh, but my, my patients, you know, we, we do a, a real comprehensive approach looking at different modalities in terms of therapy and we look at their diet and, and their medications. And so it's not just a medical um, aspect. I'm coming from uh, alternate uh, therapeutic and I'm looking at their environment and their community, their social, mental health. And the whole, we're looking at a variety of aspects to come up with a unique plan for that person. So I, th I think the first thing is just getting over our ageism and our bias of, of what this disease entails and, 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 you know, meet that level of, that level of uh, care that they deserve. Yeah. So uh, for me, I am speaking to universities, I'm speaking to students, working, um, you know, with different agencies and really getting people excited about this field, about what they can do and, um, you know, the research that can be done, mm -hmm. the policies, the systems, the changes that they can all be a part of that just bring our whole aging demographic, uh, the, the care and the level of awareness that, that we need to have. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's really, it's really um, beginning to shift. However, the numbers are not reflecting that right now. So it, it just, it would be so great to bring together a consortium of people in the field that go around and get people excited and engaged to switch their their fields. So, yeah. So you're getting in in front of the public and you're and you're making this happen. This this seventy percent though. This seventy percent that just keeps sticking in my head. So there are seventy percent of these people out there are sitting at home with people who don't really have time, energy, psychology to deal with this on a daily basis. Is that correct? 70% mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's patients are not in a place where they can get consistent care. Yeah, it's probably higher than that. But yes, that is true. And so what I usually, what I've seen in my practice is a family member, an adult child or loved one come to me and their, 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 um, their husband or wife or mother, father have just been diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. And then they're just sitting there. Now what? Yeah. So now I don't know what to do. And, and, and I'm not just talking about, you know, I mean, these, I've had neurosurgeons as my clients whose parents have contracted uh, Alzheimer's and 
are sitting there across from me at the table saying, I have no clue what to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it just shows me that, that there's a level of awareness with Alzheimer's um, and dementia that we're not meeting where somehow there's, there's still a disconnect, mm-hmm. even though it seems like we have, um, there's research, billions being spent on research and we have races for Alzheimer's Association and we're getting money for research and all of this. And, and there, there are free caregiving um, uh, sessions and educational courses and such. Um, but someone that is now today instantly a 24-7 caregiver, they're, all of a sudden it's like, oh, do I have to give up my job? Yeah. Where where does my spouse or loved one go? Can I do I need care? Do they change their medications? You know, do I need some type of mobility equipment? Like, you know, there's so many there's so many um, uh, areas in that that they need to focus on. So, pretty much, you know, we sit down and. You know, I give them a lot of information, written information that that we can go over and resources so that at any time of the day mm-hmm. that they can talk to someone. I think the Alzheimer's Association hotline is 24-7 as well. Mm-hmm. And that we give them the level of support that they need. Yeah. You know, there is an emerging community. Have you heard of Clubhouse? I have not. Okay. So Clubhouse is kind of like podcasts, but it's audio only. Um, And it's not really like podcasts because it's more like TED Talks. But it's not like TED Talks because you can get up on the stage. But it is like TED Talks because you can make your own stage. You can invite people to Clubhouse. You can invite a panel to Clubhouse. So you can plan a meeting, invite a panel, have your panel invite uh, people within their their list as customers. Let's say you invited a bunch of doctors on the panel and they were to invite their, um, their caretaker's family. So this would be your audience, right? People who want the information. Um, and you could have a weekly thing where it was just a weekly check in and you bring in a new um a new person to a uh, new people to work with you or even the same crew um, but it's a it's really a great venue for building a community around a concept or idea um, and there are as many rooms as there are types of people um, but you could probably build a very strong following over time and with, with the right structure on Clubhouse um, for exactly what you're trying to do. Because what I hear you trying to do is you're trying to leverage human capacity to, to spread understanding so that people are, can be um, less radicalized by the situation. Is that correct? Yeah, I, you know, and it's not just a, it's not just a stagnant um, fix either, because 
as anybody knows uh, with Alzheimer's, it can change hour to hour um, behavior, um, mood, mobility, et cetera. So it's just an ongoing. So because there's you know, more than 5 million people with Alzheimer's, um, it would be hard to have one person designated as a mediator or support. So, uh, you know, I think support groups are popping up. There's, there's a huge following with support groups. Uh, and I, I think support groups are amazing. And it's just the, the, the one, uh, I can't think of the word, but the one limitation of it is that there's not autonomy. So it's just more kind of a generalized idea and understanding. And all, all the people on the, on the support group, they're having their own unique experience with this. And many things cannot be generalized. So I think we talked in the, in the last uh, podcast about this funny time when uh, my mom, she had advanced Alzheimer's, she wasn't really speaking. And um, it was just, it's just an example of, you know, what do you do in, in certain situations? Um, so she had advanced Alzheimer's. We went to a restaurant after a doctor's visit and she had really not been talking for at least two months. Oh. And um, I, at that time, her Alzheimer's was really advanced and everything was just very confusing for her. And we went to a restaurant and she sat across from me. Our food came our meal came and as I began eating, I looked over and I noticed she had taken all her food off of her plate and put it on the table and just began eating it. Like that's just, you know, uh, the thing that you do. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at her and for a, a second, I, yeah, I was a little embarrassed and we were at a restaurant and you know, had a little angst. And then I looked at her and she had looked at me uh, with that look like, oh no, I, I, did I, am I, am I, are you, are you ashamed of me? You know, that kind of look from her and it broke my heart. And cause I wouldn't, the, you, you just, I would never want to shame my mom and just laterally it, it's, it's never a great idea to shame someone with Alzheimer's at all because um, it's inappropriate response. Um, but so I didn't know what to do. And so I just decided to make her feel more comfortable. I would take all my food and put it on the table and eat my food off the table. And I, I tell this story because for me, it's so liberating in that so many caregivers, they get frustrated. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've said this story like a hundred times. 
to my mom or dad and they, you know, keep doing the same thing. And, and at, at some point you just have to pick your battles and you just have to let go and accept at the end of the day, is it going to kill anybody? Is it going to hurt anybody? Is it putting them at risk to eat their food off the table? Right. Right. It's like, so I think sometimes to me, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, having that, that community, that integrative and comprehensive support structure that we can pull on is so important. And we get that by people like me and others going out to universities and to the field currently and really enhancing their knowledge of geriatrics, as well as aging and age-related issues and um, what it means and how we can, how we can have a, a better, you know, provide a better quality of life. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Um, I'm a little scared. You know, I just turned 59, so I'm kind of like going, holy crap. It, it you know, and I, I've... I don't have the energy I used to have. I don't have the, you know, I have the ideas for the energy. I got a lot of stuff I can do, but I can't seem to keep doing it and my body keeping up. So that's been kind of, now I'm, now I'm starting to kind of feel the, you know, the first stage is, you know, you don't regen as fast, right? You, you hurt your wrist and it takes two months instead of a week, like when you're a kid, you know, and then, as you get older, it's just, I don't know. I think it's all those little times you fell down and your kid just coming back. They're like, oh, we're just going to stick around now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I mean, 59 is young. 59 is so young. And my, my family from Germany, they all live to be a hundred or, or more. And my grandmother was singing and dancing almost till the day she, she was a 99 and a half. So uh, I think, yes, I, I completely get where you're coming from. Your, your body changes. Yeah. And, and so it's just a matter of being in tune with, you know, with your body, with your mind and maybe changing things a little bit, but yeah. It's, um, it, uh, cer certainly, I hope, I hope 59 isn't old because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting and it is as old as you take care of yourself at some level. I mean, there's going to be some slowing down and, and things are just not going to regenerate as fast. And, and if you exercise too much today, you're going to feel it tomorrow, maybe the day after too. But, um, you know, eating right, um, not drinking so much. I, I do enjoy some beer. So, um, yeah, just dialing that stuff back is helpful. And, and I do see a difference when that happens. Yeah. And I don't eat carbs much, but lately they've been around. So <laughs> those always make me achy. Like my, my joints, everything gets achy when I eat carbs. Yeah. I think, I mean, you're spot on. I, I think, I think for at any age, 
being in tune with our bodies and understanding where we are physically or limitations, um, finding time to have some peace mm -hmm. and balance. You know, uh, uh, a lot of uh, many of my families, they talk about meditation and, and such, and, and they, they, they're fearful of it. They're like, oh, I can't sit and meditate. But when you're doing something, no matter what it is, and you're doing it at, a, at, a, at such a focused level, uh, when I do yoga, I'm so focused and in the moment, mm -hmm. with my body, I, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not thinking about the past, the future, anything. I'm just totally in the moment with my breathing and my body movements. That is a form of meditation. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and also a form of mindfulness. Right. Trying to be in the moment and, and, and just going back to caregivers, one of the, one of the uh, areas that we talk about quite a bit is, is just this is mindfulness and doing something that can bring you, that can ground you and bring you in the moment yeah. um, as well as, and some people may laugh, but a lot, many of my Alzheimer's patients, we do a modified form of yoga. Mm -hmm. You know, they could be in a wheelchair. Maybe they could only move their wrist. It doesn't matter. We do breathing exercises. We do stretching. Uh, I bring in cranial sacral massage therapists, music, art therapy. Uh, aromatherapy. Um, we do medication modification. Um, we look at alternatives uh, to some of the psychotropic drugs that they've been prescribed. Mm -hmm. um, right now I'm finishing a book on this issue um, called Deprescribing Our Parents. Oh. And, um, what do you think of that title? <laughs> is it scary? <laughs> um, no, I like it. I like it. It actually kind of says what it is. Yeah. A, it might be a hard word to read up front just because it's big and full of syllables and such. And it's a contraction. No, it's a, it's a conjunction basically. Right. So that I think if presented right, it, it could actually it gets your attention. It does. And, you know, and, and pharmacological um, stuff is now more of a reality to almost all Americans because of the opioid epidemic. And so I think people are starting to think differently about doctor prescription. It must be okay. The doctor said it's okay. You know, that, that rule is out the window and it's caveat emptor, um, beware of what you're being prescribed. Ask a lot of questions. That's what I do. I'm like, well, what, what are the side effects? He's like, well, da, 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 da. I'm like, well, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll try to do it with diet. He goes, okay, go do it with diet. And then I come back and he says, your numbers are still kind of not great, but not bad. And then you still doing diet? I'm like, yeah, it's diet. And he's like, okay, probably should add some exercise. I'm like, yeah, I could do that, I guess. 
<laughs> well, I, yeah, I, so the numbers are, so that is not, is really not out the window yet. The numbers and the statistics are showing that polypharmacy, multiple prescriptions in of, of someone that is 65 and older is taking more than five prescriptions and not only more than five prescriptions, but uh, more than five psychotropic medications, oh. pain, pain, anxiety, depression, a secondary depression, sleep, pain. And I, I, I think there, there's a better alternative, you know? Um, so we, so in, in my book, you know, I, I speak to all the things that we're, <clears throat> excuse me, are, that we're talking to today, um, looking at alternative therapies, looking at uh, social, environmental, cognitive, you know, the physicalities. Um, and there's a new approach. And it's important that we look at what's going on. When, when I... Uh, moved my mother out of her place into my home, I found a pillowcase full of prescriptions. And some of them, she were outdated. Mm -hmm. And she had like the same prescription bottle, uh, I mean, from different doctors. And so this is another area that I focus on not only with rural aging sustainability, but within our healthcare and our medical uh, system is that we have to have a higher level of, um, in our medical systems with technology. Yeah. When, 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 uh, when a, a mother or father that might go to one doctor and then three days later goes to another for the uh, prescription, um, there has to be a connected uh, medical system that alerts them to the prescriptions that are, even if it's in different systems, right. you know, like Providence or Legacy, et cetera. Uh, we have to figure out how to enhance those because still so millions of of people right now are still um, uh, they're they're still circumventing the system. Mm -hmm. So these there's just so many areas that we can focus on that just create a, a better care, a better care and a better quality of life. And uh, I I'm I don't want to see my patients show me all their prescriptions and they're bringing a pillowcase full of prescriptions. Yeah. And it can't, it can't go on. It's, uh, it's just, I look, I grew up partly in Germany and of course it's a different medical system, right? Yeah. It's a different, uh, socialized medicine. And because I grew up there, I saw how I, when I had to, when I needed medical attention and I saw how they worked with me versus here, 
And there, even today, it's, um, it's more of, um, let's try an alternative. Let's try an herb. Let's try uh, alternative thera therapy. Let's try a tincture, you know, more kind of homeopathic. Um, let's get her to a spa to recalibrate. You know, maybe she needs uh, to change. What are what is she eating? What types of food is she eating? Mm, let's increase this a little bit. Um, let's try some herbs. So it's a little bit more holistic and and well-rounded. And while I appreciate where, <clears throat> you know, primary care physicians are coming through the uh, medical association, uh, it's not working anymore. There's an issue that it is, a, it's at a crisis level and it can't continue. And if we do, we're really going to see uh, some serious, um, some some serious crises happening um, with our with our aging population. Uh, so we we can't go on as status quo. We have to think in new ways. You know, I wonder about two things when it comes to um, all these prescriptions and. And I've had friends who are like, they just lay out their their bottles every Monday or whatever, and they fill out their weekly thing. And each each pocket's just a handful of things. And they got an AM, PM, and you know, they got the big pill case. And and it's uh, it's a lot of work. And But I always wonder about, first off, efficacy of these things. They, they Almost all drugs tend to, to lose value or power over time. The body builds some sort of resistance to it naturally, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there's the kind of, how are they all communicating with each other? That's the thing that really kind of freaks me out. It's like, okay, if I'm taking five things and they're all for different parts of the body, but these two are actually for the same part of the body, but they do different things. How is all of this stuff interacting? Because this is really one system when you get down to it. Right. Yeah, there, that element is missing. That element is missing right now. And we need, it's just, there has to be a greater accountability. And, uh, you know, I don't wanna, I, I try to be very cognizant of it because uh, primary care physicians that have 30, 40% of their patient base as geriatric patients, um, you know, they, we want to give them the support and the information and the guidance and the resources and the, um, the integration with, with um, psychologists and whoever that specialize in aging uh, to, to give them the support they need to provide the highest care for their patients. Uh, I, I've said this for a long time, for many years, that the reason why there's misdiagnoses and the reason why that they're not even being coded correctly is 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 um, <laughs> is uh, because how can you diagnose someone in 15 minutes? Right. 
with such a complex uh, uh, cognitive uh, condition and disease as Alzheimer's, you cannot. You cannot unless you're some incredibly brilliant person that knows geriatrics and mental health and cognitive and all the physicalities that go along with it and behavioral and and, um, and, and, and you just cannot, you cannot diagnose in 15 minutes. And so it, this is where having more of an integrative support where if, if some, if a patient A comes in to the to their PCP and they're they're forgetting, they're having some issues, and maybe the the physician does a a, a primary cognitive assessment mm -hmm. and says, yeah, you know, we I'm seeing some things, and um, I work with a psychologist. I work with someone that is a specialist. Um, let's connect you. Right. And all of a sudden, their uh, community and their support team is not only the primary physician, it's also this psychologist or social worker or, you know, whoever. And they're working together for this particular patient who deserves the autonomy, right? The justice and the beneficence from that practitioner. And it, it does seem a bit harsh when I when I go in and speak on this, but it is it's a reality, and we're not meeting the needs of patients. So, right. so I'm thinking back to the German model and how they kind of outside of just the basic stats, which is what we do. What's your, what's your what's your numbers? Um, they, they went into some questioning about lifestyle and and maybe even so much as saying, hey, you're stressed, let's give you the right medicine, which is, you know, a spa, you know, a couple of days off the grid, you know, getting your toxins out, eating right, getting massage, taking some saunas, swimming, you know, that kind of thing. Seems like sometimes that's a, a better approach. Uh, there is a doctor in the United States who is kind of doing something along those lines. He's kind of creating a healthcare, like a community, like you can buy in to this doctor's business. And he's got, basically it's a, a PT center, physical therapy center with nutritionalists and the whole, basically let's heal you this way first. And, and if you need other care, we got that too, but this is how this is how we do health in 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 this medical thing. So it's part of a community thing that he's building. And he was on Joe Rogan. It was very interesting. And I think about other options that are out there. That seventy number is still sticking in my head. And I believe it was uh, Norway, or or maybe Sweden, where they had taken a mall and built a community inside. It was a defunct mall. They. Read, redid the inside, made uh, living centers, um, and then had like a little downtown to give people a sense of autonomy. They could go and and go to a store and get their dinner, you know, or, or whatever was behind the wall. They could go get things, and it felt like mm -hmm. that they were, you know, they could do things. So I, you know, it, there's a lot of creativity out there that 
uh, is stifled because of capital, I think. And, and, you know, if it wasn't for money, I think we could have created a lot better world a long time ago. Um, well, and and not, not to be so negative, but there, you know, there, we are realizing that we can't live in, we can't carry on with the status quo. And we are working um, as, a, as, a, as not only in the United States, but globally. Um, I, I work with agencies and groups globally that we're looking at solutions um, and we're looking at long-term aging solutions. So, and it's just, to me, it's so fabulous because we, every country has their own idiosyncrasies with um, respect to aging and aging care. And um, in some ways, yeah, we're all the same. In other ways, we have to respect the autonomy of each patient and the uniqueness of their experience and their situation currently and, and where they're at. So, uh, you know, my hope is that we'll, we'll just continue to, to get the word out, get people excited about being in this field and get some really good thinkers to solve some, some uh, critical issues that we're having right now. Yeah. So such a long process to get people into the medical field, you know, at, at that level. I mean, did what, how many years of school? Seven. Seven. Yeah. It's a lot of years of, of school. At 59, I wouldn't be out till I was, you know, 66 or something. <laughs> and, yeah. And I'd be a patient by then, I would probably. <laughs> well, in. I want to say this, that when, um, when, when we're working as a, a group, as a task force, as a consortium, solving um, Alzheimer's issues, caregiving issues, age-related issues, et cetera, um, it's, it's not just the physicians or the psychologists or whoever that are solving issues and creating awareness. It's... Uh, the caregivers themselves, because they're they're conveying real experiences, and they're in the moment. They're sharing what's in the moment, and that has huge significance yeah. uh, to others. And so, um, going back to the support group, sharing in that way brings people together, and um, you know they reduces the stigma and uh, the angst and on all of that, uh, there's just, we still need to come and look at that um, family and that caregiver uniquely um, and what's happening in their lives currently. So um, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing discussion and I'm very excited about where we're going as a nation and as a country uh, and with other countries, um, I've been working with uh, Nepal a little bit and um, looking at what's happening um, with these positive changes for their aging demographic. Um, in other countries, it's 
we're really seeing emerging countries just finding these amazing solutions mm -hmm. for education, for caregiving, for um, aging sustainability. So um, I think we- Who's got the best model? I'm sorry, who has the best model that, that you've seen? Well, <laughs> that's a hard question. Uh, it's so unique. It's so unique. I don't even know if I can answer that. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up, growing up in Germany, I, I suppose I, I might have, uh, I, I do think that their um, respect and the, the support that they give their aging population is tremendous. And the livability, you know, in Portland, we have um, groups that focus on, um, you know, age-friendly and livability of, of Portland for our aging demographic, and um, and it's wonderful, and they've made such great strides. Uh, it's just that our communities are still so far apart. You know, the one the one thing that a lot of European countries have is that they still have these villages where you can walk everywhere. Right. You can walk and your neighbors know you and there's a support and there's this livability that's, you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. So I do see that we, where you were talking about converting the mall, we might need to rethink some of our communities um, in terms of, you know, these little villages, if you will, right. for, you know, for, for aging demographic and not just these villages that are private pay and want you to buy in selling your house and spending a ton of money. You know, it's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, everyone deserves, deserves the respect and the dignity as we age. So it's an ongoing process and I, I really am hopeful that we're gonna get more people in the field and enhance our certification and our education, maybe even making uh, a gerontology or a form of geriatrics as an associate's degree or uh, a bachelor's degree that they can go and, and, and be of support in the field. So, uh, so, you know, I'm hopeful. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I appreciate talking to you today and I appreciate um, getting the word out. It's, it's important. I think it is important. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really aware of a lot of things until I had talked to you. And so I think it's important that people understand the challenges that are facing us. And I think it truly does come down to um, our medical system. And, you know, our, we have a different sense about seniors um, than they do in a lot of other countries. Um, you know, we, America has this rogue spirit of you're on your own. And I think that just kind of translates to almost everything and everyone. Um, and so, at some point, we've, we, we need to figure out where community and individualism come together. 
um, and autonomy is so important. And I understand people being afraid of giving up, you know, their autonomy to make a better community at some level. But um, it, it seems like we're at this point where it's it's necessary. We've got too many needs out there that are being un unkept because people right now it's tied to employment well you get sick you can't you don't have a job so now what you know so it's well that's a whole different that's a whole different conversation right and you're but, on yeah people were are working with medicare but the customer the people that customers the people who need the help that you're working with the family members and such um you know they can't use medicare they have to use their own insurance to, you know to for for billables and that type of thing for care um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a complex system and it's been a long fight. It's been a fight all my life has, I remember, uh, people talking about it in the seventies. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it and then the eighties, it got real. That's when, when they really set their, their trenches and, and said, no, private, 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 private. Um, so, um, I think it's going to be some sort of hybrid as it already is kind of, but I, it would be nice to have everything in one centralized location, you know, with HIPAA protections, but still, I know I'm not giving the same drug to five, the same drug to one person with five different doctors is getting the same drug, that kind of thing. Um, so there just needs to be some loopholes fixed. We need to understand a whole lot more about how drugs are interacting with people over time and with other drugs. And, and I don't think, you know, there used to be uh, pharmacists who were com compounding ph pharmacists and they still exist, uh, but not as much. But literally anytime you put something in your body and there's two of them and they're different, you are compounding. So that is something to consider. And I'm glad that you're writing uh, a book about it. Thank you. Well, I, um, I appreciate you taking time to to chat with me today and um yeah i enjoyed it and um it's an ongoing discussion and i i'm happy to i'm happy to uh, share it and hope that hope that we can move forward you know as a as a community working together and integratively so thank yeah. you well thank you very much um this is Andrea, and if you're interested in um, geriatrics or Alzheimer's research, there are some resources out there. Um, I believe we posted them on the last show. Uh, what, are, what is probably the number one best resource for um, helping people who are, are challenged with this situation of Alzheimer's and geriatrics? Well, of course, Alzheimer's Association is has is su has such great resources and tools. Um, I still would, I still would call your primary care physician, and um, ask them to connect you with uh, with a resource with either a psychologist or someone. Um, and if you don't get anywhere, um, definitely call your insurance um, because they'll they'll connect you and. And usually you can um, find a, a social worker or someone in the field that can um, kind of mediate your, your medical needs. So um, a lot of people don't even realize that they, they have that 
liaison and that mediator, but yes, they do. And so, um, and, and just reaching out, doing a search for gerontologists, uh, geriatricians, and, um, and kind of going from there is a good start. So your time today. Yeah. yeah, thank you. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you again. And, and now you're full-blown doctor. Woo! Well, I still have a, I'm not full-blown, but I'm, I'm a couple months away from having it all legalized. So. Oh, nice. Uh, it's, they don't make it easy. Let's just say that. <laughs> a lot of hoops, but, but it's, um, it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling making it on the other side and, um, and accomplishing this. So, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, yeah. Great journey. Thank you. It's so fun. It's, uh, yeah, I, I love, lo I love this field so much and I love working with our older population and I'm just tickled pink when I, from what I learn and from them. And uh, I think my Alzheimer's patients have so much wisdom that they want to impart on me. I ha I've been writing them down as much as I can. Remember, I, I probably have a book now on just these life's wisdoms from my Alzheimer's patients. And um, it's just so great. But um, anyway, it's great speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you.